You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast paced. Good at running back, good at receiver, good at tight end, better defense, elite coaching. Stop telling me the Patriots can't win. Opinionated. I don't do lists. They are worthless. Stop bringing them to me and stop getting invested in them. To the point. It might finally be time to admit I was wrong. The Red Sox are not going to finish fourth in the division. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show right here on a Wednesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We go up until 6-10 tonight, game two of the series between the Red Sox and Tigers. We'll take our place right then with the pregame show, 7-10 first pitch. Sox lost last night by a score of 4-2. They are now a game and a half back in the American League East race. The Rays won today against Seattle, winning 4-3, so the Sox need to win to get back to a game out. Here's what we've got planned today. Again, we're on the air until 6-10. There will be no expanded conversation today on the podcast channel because tomorrow we've got a full 90-minute show, so we got a lot of stuff to say for that. We don't want to burn it all out today. We'll be joined here in about 15 minutes by Matt Belfield, who is the UVM cross-country and track and field coach. He's going to talk to us a little bit about Ellie Purrier St. Pierre, who advanced today to the finals of the women's 1500 in the Tokyo Olympics. Very, very exciting. I was up very, very early at 6 a.m., watching Purrier St. Pierre run. A lot of Vermonters, I'm sure, did the exact same thing. So after watching, though, and I've watched a lot of track in the last you know week plus, got a lot of questions here. So Matt Belfield will answer some of them. Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio is with us every single Wednesday. He did speak with me today. That interview is already posted on the podcast channel. So we'll probably react to some of what Freddie said tomorrow on our full 90-minute show. As always, you can get in and get in touch with the show on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. That's 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. It's your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. All right, here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber. Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. Yesterday was a great day for Cam Newton, but now the thing that I want to see from Cam Newton is consistency because by all accounts, yesterday was maybe the greatest moment, the greatest day throwing the football that Cam Newton has ever had in a Patriots uniform and helmet. Now the challenge is, can he replicate it? Can he do it over and over and over again for this team? Phil Perry, one of my favorites, our guy from NBC Sports Boston, he doesn't think that Cam is capable of replicating what we saw yesterday. Both of these guys have been productive in individual practices. Maybe no more productive practice today from a, uh, from a quarterback this camp than today with Cam Newton. 
but the consistency hasn't really been there for either one. So can, so can Cam Newton do what he did today, Tom, tomorrow, and the next day? I really don't think so. If he can, good for him, and it'll be great for the Patriots. We just haven't seen it from him in terms of being able to string together multiple really good practices one after the next, and I think he needs to do that if he's going to be the Patriots starter. And, and evidently, today, Phil Perry was right, and that's a problem. Cam Newton was great yesterday. Cam Newton today substandard based on reports in the 11 on 11 drills today cam newton three of eight with an interception and mac jones threw the ball more than 25 times in those drills cam newton got to throw it eight i don't know that that means anything but what i do know is that cam newton did not perform today like he did yesterday cam newton needs must be able to string good days together If he's going to hold off the job and if he's going to ward off Mac Jones and if he's going to get to the get the team to a level that I think is attainable playoff level if he's going to do that then the Patriots need to have an idea of what they're getting performance wise day to day from camp and last year we didn't see that this year we're hoping to see that last year we got great cam against Miami week one. We got unbelievable cam week two against Seattle. Even in a loss, pretty good cam against Buffalo. Pretty good cam against Houston. Pretty good cam at the end of the year in a meaningless throwaway game against the Jets. We saw good cam at times last year. But we also saw lousy cam. San Francisco, Denver, Buffalo the second time around on Monday Night Football. Okay, the Last year, our history with cam has been too much fluctuation in results and performance. I think this team can go to the playoffs. I believe in Cam, and I believe in Bill Belichick. I believe in the schedule, and I believe in what this team has done and what ownership has committed dollar-wise to this roster. I believe in this team. But if they're going to get that and justify that belief that I and many others have, Cam Newton is going to need to continue to find that consistency that he has struggled, you know, struggled to find. I'm not really that interested overall in today's practice and and the results of it because it was another day in no pads for the Patriots. Yesterday, we talked about how yesterday in pads, it mimicked real football, and yesterday mattered. Today doesn't feel like it matters that much because, again, the team was not in pads, and I know that Cam's never going to show great in a glorified passing camp, But once the team starts to play football on consecutive days and have padded practices, Cam needs to have a whole lot more days like he had on Tuesday than he's had at various other points of these kind of passing camp situations. We're through seven days of training camp. It's pretty evident to me at this point. Mac Jones is going to have down days. He had a down down day yesterday, had a down day over the weekend. He's going to have down days. That's what rookies do. But he's also going to grow. He's going to learn. And some days that growth is going to go really fast and it's going to look exponentially better than it did the day before. So Mac Jones is going to have some highs that he can bring to the party. The thing that Cam Newton should have is some steadiness. And he should have consistency. And right now, he hasn't had that with enough regularity. If he wants to hold on to the position that I want him to hold on to as a starting quarterback, he's going to need to provide 
that steadiness. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Bill Belichick, Patriots head coach, was talking to Sirius XM NFL Radio yesterday, and we talk about consistency. Here's what Belichick said about camp. Yes, camp's been very consistent. So um, what he is this year is what he was last year, and what he was in December is honestly pretty much what he was in August. So uh, he's he brings it every day. Uh, he's ready to go, has good energy. He's very professional. Uh, he's, he's, been, he's one of our most consistent players. Yeah. How was the point? There's kind of a two-part question here to that quote. Two-part question in response to that quote. Part one, what kind of consistency is Bill Belichick talking about from Cam? I just told you, and we saw with our own eyes, that Cam was inconsistent last year as a player and evidently has been inconsistent through seven days of camp. So what kind of consistency is Bill Belichick talking about? That question has Patriots insider Tom E. Curran all in a tizzy. I'm not sure what he's looking at. He had the most consistent quarterback, perhaps player in NFL history, for two decades at the most important position in the league. And now he's saying that this player, who threw eight touchdowns and 12 picks last year and had to be benched three times, is emblematic of consistency. What are we doing? What are we looking at? Okay. Again, it's a two-part question. Part one, what is Bill Belichick talking about? To Tom Curran's point, what are we looking at? I think that Curran needs to relax a little bit there. When Bill Belichick talks about cam and consistency, he's talking solely about his energy and his effort. He's talking about his energy, his enthusiasm, the positivity that he brings to the facility every single day. He's talking about nothing more than that. When Bill Belichick talks about Cam Newton and calls him consistent in that same breath, he's talking about the intangibles. He's not talking about on-field performance. Good locker room present, presence, rather, a guy that other guys enjoy being around. That's what he's talking about. And so now the second part of that question. So I answered the first part. He's talking about the intangibles, the off-field stuff that Cam Newton brings. The second part of the question now is, How much should all of that matter? We know Cam is good at the intangibles. When you are evaluating who should play quarterback for the Patriots, how much should those intangibles matter? 802-585-3026. I ask you the text line. When evaluating the quarterback position, how much should Cam Newton's personality, effort, energy, attitude, how much should that matter in the decision-making process? And I actually think it should play a role. To a degree. Those intangibles should matter to a degree. Look, you can be the nicest guy in the world, but if you can't play at all, then you can't be my starting quarterback. So there comes a point where the great personality doesn't matter and it can't cover up things, but we're not at that point right now. It matters to me that guys like Cam Newton. It matters to me that guys rally around Cam Newton, and it matters to me that guys want to play hard for Cam Newton. And that's not to say that Mac Jones can't get there. I'm sure he's also capable of drawing out that kind of reaction, but it's going to take time. Cam Newton doesn't need time. He's already there now. Guys believe in what he brings to the table. They've seen it, most of them, firsthand with their own eyes, and they enjoy him. And that does matter. Okay, Aaron Rodgers can get away with being surly because he's so good. Cam Newton couldn't get away with being surly. Okay, Cam Newton, though, is the opposite of Surly. Cam Newton is downright bubbly 
when he comes to the facility and when he's hanging out and the, and the players love him. And that does matter. Okay, you're going to play hard for a guy who you respect, who you know has your back, who you know is putting in the work. Again, Mac Jones would probably do it too. But Cam Newton has already built those relationships. He's already built that trust. Look, last December, the Patriots were hovering around 500. December 8th, they've just beaten the Chargers. David Andrews, offensive lineman, said this about Cam. It's awesome, man. It makes you want to protect them, block for them. Um, you know, I know if you give him a chance, he's going to do everything he can to get in the end zone. So I think it matters when guys talk about Cam with that kind of reverence, okay? When guys speak about Cam that way, you should listen to them. It can't be the sole deciding factor. It's not the only thing that Bill Belichick should look at, okay? Poison the pocket, arm strength, decision-making, all of that plays a factor. It's never just one thing. But to completely discount the intangibles would be a mistake, okay? So when Tom Curran says, what are we talking about with consistency? We're talking about effort, attitude, preparation, energy. And second part is... That should matter. When the decision is made, that should matter. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Vermonter Ellie Perrier St. Pierre advances to the Olympic finals in the women's 1500 this morning. What does she need to do to win the gold? We'll get some answers from UVM cross country and track and field coach Matt Belfield. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Vermonter, Ellie Perrier, St. Pierre advances to the Olympic finals this morning, the women's 1500. At about 6 a.m. Eastern time, Perrier, St. Pierre ran. She finished sixth in her heat with a time of 4.01 exactly. So by finishing sixth, she didn't automatically qualify. But once heat two was done and the dust had settled, it turned out she did have a good enough time to advance to the Olympic finals. Those are Friday morning here in the Eastern time zone, about 8.50 a.m. So we'll all be following it there in real time. After the race, Perrier St. Pierre ecstatic to be advancing. I'm just so excited. It's just really emotional. Um, you know, I, I know I gave it my all on the on the track there. I, I left with everything on the track, and I'm really proud of myself. And um, so walking off, I wasn't disappointed, even though I, um, you know, I didn't make it in the top five. I was really hopeful because I knew that it was a fast heat. And so just waiting for those, you know, 10 minutes or so to find out was really uh, stressful. But um, obviously I'm happy now. You know, those interviews are done, like, right after they are done running. How is Ellie Perrier St. Pierre functioning and able to talk? I would be face down on the pavement, face down on the track, if I had to do an interview right after running a 1500. Like, that's essentially a mile that she sprinted in four minutes and one seconds flat. I would be dead for weeks before I could go and talk coherently like that. Like, could I get a Powerade and an IV somebody? It's also a trillion degrees there in Tokyo and she's able to go and run the race qualify for the final and sound coherent in the interview just minutes later that takes some real props I I've got a lot of questions on track and field and on distance running and what Ellie Perrier St. Pierre is doing so I had to enlist the help of the expert experts so I'm going out 
to the phone line now. I'm going to bring on Matt Belfield. Matt Belfield is the cross-country coach and the track and field coach at the University of Vermont, and he's with us now. So, Matt, you know, being a a cross-country or track and field coach is different than a baseball coach or a football coach. Like, in those sports, you can game plan for one or two specific people. You've got a whole fleet of runners to kind of oversee and then game plan for. So you're the coach at UVM. What do you remember about Ellie Perrier St. Pierre when she was running at UNH in college? You know, you're right. There's a lot of diversity to um, the preparation and what you need to do for cross country. And, in, uh, you know, in this case, what she's doing right now, you know, the different disciplines of track and field. So, um, you know, in cross country, you know, she was somebody that um, didn't mess around and, and recognized that the best thing she could do is just to get away from the, the trouble and just head out and, and run her race and, you know, get away from any uh, any legs tangling up. And, you know, she knew how to take care of business, certainly. Um, you know, in, in track and field, when we came up against her, it was it was often, you know, you try to guess what events she's going to do and, and maybe make some entries to try to strategically get as many points as you could against her. Um <laughs> But, you know, a, a big thing about, um, you know, Ellie's time at UNH was that, you know, Coach Rob Hopler really did a nice job of taking care of her relative to the potential he knew she had. So she was not overraced. She was she was taken care of um, very carefully by Coach Hopler so that, um, you know, she'd be able to continue her career and be at the level she is now. Well, let me ask you this, some kind of tactical information that I need. It's like 90 degrees and incredibly humid right now in Tokyo. What kind of conditions are that for running? Is that easier because you loosen up? Is it incredibly uncomfortable? How does the weather impact running? It can impact it in a lot of ways, and that's certainly not ideal uh, performance kind of weather. You know, in the 1500, you know, it's only four minutes of, of exertion, uh, during the race, however, you need to warm up in it, um, and yeah, maybe you don't have to go quite as hard in your warm up to get warm when it's 90 and humid versus you know 40 and raining or whatever. But um, yeah, you need to be attentive to um, you know taking care of your body, not just right before the race, but in the time you know approaching that. And you know, really, as you know from being here in Vermont, I mean, we get plenty of 90 and humid days, so it's it's not that extraordinary that she would never have experienced it before. Certainly, she yeah. has even racing, you know, an America East kind of competition. But um, so you know, and people just say, "Hey, got to hydrate, hydrate, hydrate." Well, that that doesn't quite get it done. I mean, you need to make sure that your diet is appropriate, that you're not just taking water and that you're replacing, you know, you know, the salts through electrolyte as well. So, you know, she's she's well taken care of with uh, coach Mark Coogan and the new balance team. And I suspect that, you know, she's getting everything that she needs. It, it really, the mental preparation for handling that kind of uh, oppressive uh, condition when your body just doesn't want to get rid of the water that it's trying, you know, trying to get rid of, or, you know, the sweat is trying to excrete. It's uh, yeah. It just feels like you got a wet blanket on you. You know, she ran like a four Oh six in her first run of the Olympics she ran a 401 this morning in the semifinal. A five-second gain seems pretty extreme to me. She may need another five-second gain if she wants to try to win the gold medal. Is that kind of gain possible? Like, is there more in the tank there, you think? Well, you know, I think it's really important in, in this setting that I don't try to um, suggest um, anything about what her training's been like, how she's feeling, Um you know, not being her coach, it, it would be really hard to speculate what else she has left. Um, yep. What I do know is that there are two women in the field whose personal bests are significantly faster than Ellie's. Um, 
So, you know, it would have to be, a, um, you know, a significant improvement on the behalf of Ellie or, or a tactical race where she gets in the right position and, and can finish really strong. So, again, I, I don't want to try to speculate. I mean, she wasn't in, you know, the best of positions in the semifinal um, having to advance on time. But again, you know, people certainly turn things around for subsequent races all the time. So um, what I'm most excited about is that, you know, somebody from our home state and somebody that I know and respect well in Ellie is, is having this opportunity to, to race at the Olympics. And, and, you know, it's, it's a sport where, um, you know, the whole world does it and the whole world does it well, doesn't take a lot of money, doesn't take a lot of unique circumstances. So, you know, we're not just competing against a few other countries we're competing against, you know, the totality of, of our planet here. So to be at that position where she's one of 12 in the final is really a big accomplishment for her. Matt Belfield, University of Vermont with us here on the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV radio.com. She's going to have to run this event three times in a week. When we talk about from the first round to the semifinals until the final on Friday, three times in a little bit less than a week. Is that typical or do people usually run, okay, I'm going to run this on a weekend and then the next weekend and then the next weekend, or are they specifically trained to run it this frequently? Well, it's very common in any championship setting that you're going to run it twice in sometimes back-to-back days, sometimes with a day in between at our NCAA championships, et cetera. Um, Three times over the course of five or six days, um, when you've had a long season ahead of that, you know, there can be some challenges in challenges in getting it just right. But um, certainly this is a calendar that she's known about for a long time. So she and her coach certainly have a plan for this. Um, you know, again, travel to another country and, and the weather and, and just the competition are all factors in terms of how it's going to end up finishing up for her in a couple of days here. But um, yeah, um, she's used to running a lot of high level races. Now, granted, there are certainly people in that field that have run on the national stage for longer than she has, um, you know, experience is a big part of it. Um, but hitting your, your training peak just right is a big part of it too. And, and, you know, sometimes it's just, okay, who's, who's got it today. So it's, that's the excitement of watching the Olympics is, you know, we see all the time where the pre-race favorites run well, but they still get beat by somebody we don't know because sometimes we just don't know. You know, we've seen multiple runners in, in these heats fall down or get pushed over or trip up feet. How do you avoid the carnage that can happen in these kind of races? Like, what strategically do you try to do? Well, I mean, I, I guess I would say, first of all, and, and granted, I'm, I'm, I'm not in a position to tell the Olympic Committee what to do, <laughs> but um, there should have been four, four rounds, in my opinion, um, in the first round, or four, four heats in the first round. So you could have 12 or 13 instead of 16 in those races. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's too much parity, and, you know, and the parity uh, creates, you know, big packs um, and also in the conditions, people don't necessarily want to do the leading. There's a you know, distinct disadvantage to leading the race. You know, it's measured scientifically that the person doing the, doing the pacing is doing a little more work, especially if there's any wind at all. So um, it's just a matter of different people with um, slightly different race plans, but all trying to run the same position or same time that you can get a little bit uh, tied up there. The way to avoid it, uh, you know, if you're good enough, is just to get yourself free from trouble, which, you know, certainly Ellie could do in high school and much of college. Um, but you don't want to sacrifice yourself in this position. So you you put yourself where you think you're safe and can respond to the different moves. And, you know, it's she's, she's done well to get to the final of this for sure. But, yeah, there's no way to avoid it for sure other than to just, you know, run way off the back or one run way up front. Can you coach someone 
to be as good as she is, or is it just kind of natural ability and inborn? Well, I'd like to think because, you know, this is how I make a living for myself that the coaching (laughs) has some, some value in this, but you know, when you get to this level, there's an extraordinary amount of talent that all these women have. Um, and so the other factors are, you know, do have you hooked up with a coach that has a coaching philosophy and training program that fits your physiological and biomechanical needs? And, you know, and then, you know, then the relationship part of it to where, you know, the athlete can trust that the coach cares about them as a person and, and can help them reach their goals. And certainly, you know, I know, I know Rob Hoffler really well, and he's excellent in that. And I know Mark Coogan a little bit too, and it's, it's, it's the right place for her to be in New Balance Boston with Mark Coogan. So, um, you know, the biggest part of this is an athlete that has made a decision that they want to try to be really good on the international stage. So she's got the talent, no question. And, but, you know, how much of that can we develop? You know, how much, um, how much drive do I have? Am I willing to make those sacrifices in my life? Uh, with my family to, to get it done. And um, so far she's, she's doing a great job with that. You know, I'll leave you on this. So much about sports is focusing on the present. And I hate to be this guy who immediately wants to look ahead, but I am curious. Is there an age sweet spot in an event like she's doing in a discipline in track and field? Like I think she's 26 now. Yes. The next Olympics is 20. She'll be 29. Are you still in the sweet spot at 29 or like, yeah. is this, is this the real good chance? Um, I think 29 is a really good sweet spot in the 1500. Um, in fact, you know, she's, she's one of just a handful of, of us runners who have run under two in the, in the 800 under four and the 15 and under 15 in the 5k. So she's got good range. So if, if by 29, there's a handful of people that are making it hard for her to make the team in the 15, if she could certainly make the choice to, to focus on the five and be somebody running under 1430. Um, now the, you know, Again, you don't know what the world landscape is going to look like yet um, amongst, uh, you know, the other other countries. You know, trying to get top three of any of those events is just remarkably challenging. But she's she's got a career ahead of her should she choose to do that. She could run at age 33 uh, in the 5K for sure um, if she wanted to. Uh, and when I say wants to, it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be some other fast people, but she could make that commitment should she choose. But again, um, you know. Um, I'm, I'm not her, I'm not her coach and I don't, I don't know what she's thinking. So, um, but no, she's, she's still, she's still got a ways to go as far as what I would say is the sweet spot, as you call it, uh, 29 would be right about on the money. Well, Matt Belfield, university of Vermont, cross country track and field. And for me running expert, cause I had a lot of questions after watching these Olympics for the last week that we've been on the, uh, on the tracks out there in Tokyo. So Matt, we appreciate the time, the perspective, the information, and, uh, we'll all continue to root for LA. Uh, for St. Pierre as she goes for the gold medal. So thanks so much for the time. My pleasure, Brady. Take care now. Absolutely. You too. By the way, 19 years now. He's going on year number 19 at UVM. So certainly he was the right guy to call in. It sounds like it's going to be tough for Ellie Perrier St. Pierre to win a gold medal, but she may be able to get on the podium. And I think we're all happy for her and proud of her regardless. But if you're looking for a medal, it sounds like that's possible. But the gold could be tough. The necessary gains to go and uh, – you know, beat the two runners who have a significantly better time than her would be difficult. So appreciate Matt Belfield's time with us. What we will do, we will step aside, get a national news update from CBS News, and then we'll come back and talk about the Red Sox. They've lost five straight. Are you guys ready to join me on the panic bandwagon yet? I'll tell you why you should be. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com.
Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Again, appreciate Matt Belfield joining us from UVM Track and Field and Cross Country. Ellie Perrier St. Pierre advancing to the Olympic Finals in the women's 1500. We'll continue to follow that story throughout the rest of the week. The Brady Farkas Show is brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. It's Vermont's premier truck driver training school. You can make all your dreams come true professionally, whether you're starting your career or whether you're getting a new career for yourself. This should be the step that you take. It offers, you know, it's the commercial trucking business offers very good money, and you get set up for, you know, all of that opportunity economically by going to Pro Driver Training and Pro Driver CDL. So it's ProDriverCDL.com, ProDriverCDL.com. They've got a facility in Enosburg, a facility in Milton as well. So that first step or that next step in your career, well, that's the one that you should take. Go give them a call. Go give them an email. Find all the information at prodrivercdl.com class a class b passenger training resources book work field work they've got everything for you who is ready raise your hand if you are ready to join me on the red sox panic bandwagon okay because right now things are unraveling for the red sox i'm not saying they are done and i'm not saying that they are cooked but what i am saying is that there are real problems on this team and the cracks are beginning to show. The, tr- the the cracks that I had waited to show, that never showed, that I that I just kind of thought to myself, you know what, maybe they're not going to show. Maybe this is going to be a special year. Those cracks are now appearing, okay? Health, number one. As I said all along, this team needed to be healthy in order to make a run at this thing for the long haul. And now here we are. At first, it's some kind of insignificant players like Marvin Gonzalez and Danny Santana. Then it's a little bit more of a significant piece in Christian Arroyo. Then you start to wilt away that bullpen, and and Sawamura's on the IL. He's back now, but he was on the IL. Now Darwin's and Hernandez is on the IL, and it might be kind of significant with that oblique. So the health that was so good and so key is now starting to whittle away. This team, if it's going to compete for the long haul, needs its full complement of weapons to be really good. And right now, they're just kind of treading water in that department. Number two, the pitching is a major problem now for this team. Garrett Richards passed nine starts. This isn't small sample size. This isn't like a two-week period. This is nine starts. This is two months. Garrett Richards has a 7-3-6 ERA. Martin Perez, his past 10 starts, he's got a 6-6-9 ERA. The Red Sox rotation in the last eight games has gone barely over four innings per game. Okay, In the last in seven of the last eight games, the rotation, the starter, has failed to go five innings. Okay, They don't go deep into games, the bullpen gets overtaxed, and the starters get hit around. That's a problem. And right now, there's not a real easy solution. Like, oh, you just say, hey, well, we want Perez and Richards gone. So let's put Sale and Hauk in. It doesn't quite work that way. I wish it did. I wish I could come into this show today and talk about how Chris Sale and Garrett Richard, or Chris Sale and Tanner Hauk should be just inserted in the rotation and Martin Perez and uh, Garrett Richards should be just, you know, kicked to oblivion. I wish I could say that, but I can't. The Red Sox have multiple doubleheaders coming, okay? 
They got a doubleheader this weekend in Toronto. They got a doubleheader coming up August 17th against the Yankees. They need more starters. They need more than five. It can't just be Sale and Hauk coming in and saving the day. I'd love for that to be the case, but it's just not plausible because of these doubleheaders. So the health is an issue. The pitching is an issue. And the offense is a problem too. Okay? The offense aren't the offense isn't hitting well since the since the All-Star break. The Red Sox struck out 10 times yesterday against the Tigers. It's a Tigers pitching staff that's 26th in the league in strikeouts, and the Red Sox K'd 10 times. I mean, Michael Fulmer, like relatively fresh off the injured list, blew through the heart of the order. I believe he K'd Devers, Bogarts, and Martinez. All of them just gassed by you and maybe like a little cutter to Martinez. So the Red Sox K'd a bunch yesterday, so they don't get the big hit in Tampa. They leave guys on base. Now... They're striking out. That's a problem, too. And Duran and Dahlbeck, I understand they're young, and I understand that Dahlbeck's been a season-long frustration, but Duran and Dahlbeck, since the All-Star break, 179 batting average, four walks, 37 strikeouts. Four walks, 37 strikeouts. The Red Sox are punting multiple spots in the order right now. The heart of the order isn't carrying them. They're swinging and missing too much. And the pitching staff has been garbage. The rotation has been garbage. Pick whichever lane you want to, but join me on the panic bandwagon because there's a whole lot there to keep us all occupied. There's a whole lot of worry. So Red Sox are uh, they're in need of a win tonight. We'll see if they can get it. Here's the lineups. The Sox are a game and a half back in the American League East coming into play tonight. They're 63 and 45. The Tigers, 52 and 57. Eduardo Rodriguez is on the mound against Casey Mize. For the Sox, Kike Hernandez is at second. Duran's in center. Xander Bogart's at short. Rafael Devers at third. J.D. Martinez is the D.H. Alex Verdugo's in left. Hunter Renfro's in right. Franchi Cordero's at first. And Christian Vasquez is the catcher. Casey Mize is 6-5 with a 3-4-1 for Detroit. The team behind him, Akil Badu in left. Jonathan Scope at second. Robbie Grossman in right. Miguel Cabrera at first. Eric Haas is the DH. Jamer Candelario's at third. Grayson Grenier is the catcher. Zach Short is at short. And Derek Hill is in center. That'll do it for us here on the Brady Farkas Show. The full show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff. Go Sox!